0: Mr. Beast is an interesting case. Uh, Okay. You want me to actually just... I'll just run through it like you you were Mr. Beast. If I was talking to you... Okay. Mr. Beast, uh, Jimmy, you want to create a podcast? Yeah. We have talked about this a little bit. Uh, Here's what I would tell him. Uh...
1: Hey, y'all, I've got a great episode for you today. I talk with Ben Wilson. He's the creator of How to Take Over the World podcast, the producer of My First Million, and the founder of PodRamp. He tells me about his journey, how Larry Wilson was extremely important in that journey, what's important to him these days what makes a great podcast. He walks me through how he would help Mr. Beast create his own podcast and solves an age-old debate about whether Sean Puri or Sam Parr is the better basketball player. Enjoy.
0: It's good to see you. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. It is the week past snowmageddon that we had last week in Austin. So life back to normal here. I
0: heard about that. Yeah, you guys, it seems like you're getting a lot of those now.
1: Yeah, apparently we had one in 2020, and then we moved here in October of 2021, and then this year we live in an apartment, so we were fine. Uh, They had this awesome Reddit, Austin Reddit was like the people in the apartments are like the aristocrats of Austin; they don't have to shovel (laughs) (laughs) things. Yeah, right. They have power. They're just great.
0: (laughs) Where were you guys before Austin?
1: We were nomading, so we uh, lived in New York City, and then COVID happened, and New York is just not a fun place to be during COVID. So we started. Nomad we went to Europe, went to much from Poland. I'm from Sierra Leone in Ukraine. And we want to move to Western Europe sometime soon. So we use it as a way to explore and then nice pass through Austin and just loved it and stayed.
0: Very cool. Very cool. That and sounds
1: fun. You're in Utah. Salt Lake or?
0: Uh it's Orem, So it's okay. forty minutes south of, of Salt Lake. It's uh it's right by BYU actually, if you
1: if you yeah. I have definitely heard of BYU. I'll ask you about some things related to Brigham Young as well. There today. you go.
0: Great, great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. I wanted us to dive in and get started with literally your journey and where you started. You say so much about other folks' journeys. So let's start with your first few steps.
0: Yeah. Well, so there's always, where, where do I begin, right? Um, I, um, I'm not someone, I'm not one of those people who found their way early in life. I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. In college, I studied economics and political science. Um, I guess you'd say with like politics, I've kind of always been interested or attracted to the idea of power a little bit. Um, I went and worked for in a, a management consulting firm after I graduated from college. I was fine. I did okay. I wouldn't say I was a great management consultant. Yeah. Uh, I was adequate. And I did tech marketing for a couple of years. Once again, adequate. Uh, and then I started a podcast in, uh, in my spare time and it started doing well. And when I say started doing well, I mean, on like a very small scale. Right. So, Mm -hmm. but it was growing. So I knew people were sharing it. So I was going from like a hundred to 200, from 200 to 300, from 300 to 500. Right. And, uh, downloads per episode. And so I could tell, and the other thing that was big to me is I had people, even with that small of an audience telling me your podcast is my favorite podcast, literally my favorite podcast. And I thought, okay, well, if there are some people who like it that much, then there's gotta be some future to it. Right. I remember going to these podcasting conferences and going to these networks and being like, please, please just listen to my podcast. I promise. It's great. It's great. And, uh, these people saying, how many downloads does it get? i was like ah, 250 downloads per episode. And then just saying, you know, no, and now kind of being in that position i i can't blame them too much um but it's it's grown since then yeah. and then you know a, a couple people picked it up and championed it sam Parr, who's on my first million mr beast yeah. um and so now it's it's grown a lot bigger than that and um yeah so I what i do
1: and we've got so much further to go if we look at the journey and, and where you're going. So That's a great overview of you, Ben. Thank you for that. I'm going to bring you even further back to kind of where, how, what your experience growing up was. So I know that you're a Latter-day Saint. You've got three siblings, son of Larry and Linda. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I understand that Larry went to Stanford GSB. So I went to Stanford GSB. My husband went to Stanford GSB. We've got lots of friends from there. So curious to know what your experience was growing up and for us just tell us about what not to do as parents how not to mess them up you can tell me all the things
0: (laughs) yeah it's interesting um i was at this kind of conference uh, a couple weeks ago i was at a dinner table with a lot of really impressive um powerful successful people and they were all Mm -hmm. talking about how messed up their childhoods were and like these strained relationships they had with their dads i was like man Maybe I would be more successful if I had worse parents, um, (laughs) because I would describe my childhood as idyllic. Um, so as you kind of alluded to, my dad was, um, quite successful. He had a a great educational background and then, um, a a quite successful career. Um, frankly, not as successful as it could have been, um, because we, as his children always knew that we were his top priority, right? um and so he would um you know miss out on meetings to he he was at like basically every single one of my basketball games right um yeah and and so um yeah that's the kind of childhood I had I I grew up in the Bay Area like you mentioned I was a Latter-day Saint that formed uh like a very tight community for me um and um you know I mentioned my dad I had a very good loving doting mother who like read with me a lot. I remember reading through Lord of the Rings with her in her bed when I was uh, like eight years old. We'd start reading just like a page a night. And then as it progressed, you know, by the time I was nine, I was like, all right, mom, this is going too slow for me. Like, can I take these into my bed? Can can I read them? And not not out loud. Um, So yeah, I had a a great childhood.
1: That's amazing. You know, you taught me, I learned from you that Latar Brunet was the um, inspiration for Rivendell. And Gerard Tolkien, we were just there for our honeymoon in August. It's beautiful, uh, and so you told me that you mentioned Lord of the Rings. So I wanted to bring it up. Yeah, that... well, when you
0: go there, you understand it too. It's so beautiful. Gorgeous.
1: It's gorgeous. It's like how it's impossible. I feel like it's impossible to be stressed out when you are so humbled by the beauty of nature and the world when you're there.
0: Right. I agree.
1: Is that how you formed a love of reading? I know you read so many biographies these days.
0: Well, so both of my parents were English majors. So even though my dad, you know, as you mentioned, went to business school and uh, worked in finance, actually, for his career, uh, both of my parents um, majored in English and so had this great love of reading and of literature. And so, yes, for as long as I can remember, reading was a major part of our family culture. So um, we read together. You know, if you went in the family room, we had one of those old school, like a little standing desk. I don't know how to put it with yeah. a bit like a giant dictionary on it. Right. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so that was what we talked about. Um, sometimes around the dinner table, what are you reading? What are you learning? Um, my parents loved poetry. So yeah, it was just a big part of family culture.
1: Yeah. I remember also growing up, I grew up in Sierra Leone and we didn't have TV for instance. And so I'd just read all the time and just devour all of these books.
0: Well, you just, So we didn't have TV either actually until I was like 12. My mom uh, refused to, to get cable.
1: <laughs> That's so you're giving me all these re- like I joke that my kids I may send them to Sierra Leone. <laughs> <And> <laughs> you're giving me all these reasons, honey. We're gonna cancel all the meetings. We're gonna be great parents. That's how you raise uh, wonderful, down to earth kids. So I have it on tape and recorded. That'll be my what I tell my kids. There you go. So then, if you were to say or pinpoint one or two experiences growing up that shaped you into who you are today, what would you point to?
0: Yeah. So um, so one is really easy. The first one is really easy, which is my mission, okay? So um, as a Latter-day Saint, you're expected, um, when I was growing up, it was only men that were expected mm-hmm. to, to serve a two-year mission. Women could, but most did not. That's kind of changed. Now most people do it, men and women. Uh, but when you're 19 years old, uh, sometimes a little older, but most people go when they're 19, uh, you're called to, to serve a mission. And so you go and you uh, spread the good word of Mormonism, essentially. you know, I was one of those dorky guys with the bike helmet on and the tie, and I was knocking doors and telling people about religion. Um, so I spent two years doing that uh, on the southwest border. I was in Tucson, Arizona, and that strip of border all the way to El Paso, Texas, served most of my mission in El Paso, and it was Spanish speaking. So I learned to speak uh, fluent Spanish, and I still speak, uh, I think it's fluent uh, (laughs) Spanish. And that taught me how to work hard. I think a lot of people don't understand what that commitment is like. So uh, it's changed a little bit since when I went, I was there 2007 to 2009, but at the time... You didn't take any electronics, you didn't take your phone. Um, you got two suitcases, and that was it. You didn't get to call home except for on Mother's Day and Christmas. You got to send one email home uh per week.
1: Wow. And I, I didn't realize letters. that.
0: Yeah. So I'd go, I would check email for an hour. For an hour, I could read through emails to see oh, what wow. people were telling me from home. That's um, actually
1: quite healthy, but with the taking time off from electronics. But still, that's less than I expected.
0: One of the things that this environment creates, I'm actually a little sad that they have changed it now. But one of the things Mm -hmm. it creates is, you know, when I grew up, I was Larry Wilson's son. I was Brig Wilson's little brother, right? My brother was like an all-star in three sports. And so when I got on the basketball team, people already had expectations of me. Um, And then you're in this environment where you could be a farm kid from Idaho which I did, I had companions. So you, on a mission, you have companions, right? You're never alone, you live with this other person and you go around, you knock doors with them, you're always with them. And if you're a farm kid from Idaho, that's one of my companions, or I had a um, a little Mexican kid from from Fresno, uh, who was my companion. I say little, cause he literally, he was like five, two and I'm six, four. And <laughs> people would, when they talk to us, they like, we've seen you around the little Mexican guy, the big tall white guy, they thought it was funny. <laughs> um, but like, it didn't matter, right? Didn't matter that if your dad had money, if your parents had money, if your parents didn't have money, didn't matter if you came from a broken home, from a good home. It's like this chance to be totally equal, blank slate, and do this really hard thing. I mean, it's so mentally draining, difficult to knock doors. 99.9% of people tell you, no, I have no interest whatsoever in what you guys are talking about. Yeah. But just that environment of you, you learn a lot about yourself uh, when you're given a difficult task like that. And I learned to work hard and I learned uh, what I was capable of and had my first real leadership roles in life. So that was very transformative for me.
1: Yeah. Also sales, that's literally a one-on-one on sales and rejection and how to communicate a vision and all of those, which are really important skills.
0: I remember uh, I worked for a campaign when I got home and we had this canvassing operation. So we're going to go out and knock doors and give out flyers about, you know, here's our candidate. So I'm with all these volunteers and these are all professional um, professionals, people who do this. And I go and I knock the first door and say, hey, my name is Ben Wilson. I'm here with this candidate. His name is David Harmer. And we're, and anyways, it was very easy for me. Honestly, yeah. politics is hard, but it's not as hard as religion. And uh, people just looked at me like, and I was an alien. <laughs> they were like, "How how did you do that so fluidly and so easy?" Um, and it's really, you know, you you can. It's not sales, right? It, it's yeah, not sales, but you but it does teach you something about sales um, mm-hmm. when, when you're doing that.
1: How to position yourself, I imagine.
0: How to talk to people. How to and... how to go from zero to a relationship with someone in a very short amount of time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's very character building. Did you want to talk about a second one?
0: The first thing that jumped to mind was um, a funny experience. I don't know why I thought of this, actually. I haven't thought about this in a long time. But I was in a a basketball tournament my senior year. And we made a a good run in this basketball tournament. We went late into the tournament. We're going to make it, I think it was to the finals. And uh, I also... I played piano growing up Mm -hmm. and so the championship of this tournament was going to fall on the same day as my senior recital of like these pieces i had been working on for a very long time right pretty complex piano stuff um and so both these things were kind of the culmination of uh of a lot of hard work and something i was excited for on both accounts so i go to my coach and i say coach I just, I don't know what to do, man. I just, I'm so sorry, but like, I have this recital and it's on the same day as the championship and I I can't do both. And and he just stops me and he's like, Wilson, what is this? Like, what what is this? I'm so sad. Like, I'm sorry. These two things fell on the same day. Tell me what you're going to do, okay? I think you should play in the basketball game, but it's not going to be the end of my life if you have to go do this other thing. But whatever you do, don't come to me like this. Like, just tell me what you're going to do. Grow up. And that was also really important for me of just, okay, I got to take responsibility for my actions. Um, before I had just, I guess, kind of been going with the flow, right? And like, you sign up for the program, you sign up for the team and you do what the coach tells you. And all of a sudden, for the first time, I was in a spot where I couldn't just do what other people told me. I had to make a, a real choice. And it meant a lot to me, my coach, Bill Powers. Thanks, Coach Powers, Uh, teaching me to take responsibility.
1: There's always that moment where you wake up and realize, oh, I'm actually living for myself. I'm in charge and in control of my life destiny, per se. And my choices mean a lot and taking ownership for them. Totally. Ben, you know, I wasn't going to let us move on past your experience growing up without mentioning you're the great, great, great grandson of Brigham Young and asking <laughs> you how that impacted you, if at all. Like, were you annoyed by this growing up or did you like it all the time? I know you you like him a lot these days, but was yeah. it ever a thing where everyone was like, oh, you're this person's great, great, great grandson?
0: No, not at all. So I joke that Brigham Young is the Genghis Khan of uh, of the Intermountain <laughs> West, so He's got, uh, someone did the math, and this is a few years ago, so it's probably more now, but 30,000 living descendants. So there's 30,000 people in the world who can say, I'm a great, great something, grandson or granddaughter, Brigham Young, right? So this is someone who had a couple dozen wives and over 50 children, 50, actually maybe it was 49 children.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and b- because of the nature of Latter-day Saint polygamy, plural marriage, like a lot of those children also had like 10 20 plus children right so um, there are a ton of us what was a bigger deal is kind of what I mentioned a, a little bit that I alluded to was that I was Larry Wilson's son um, mm. um, in, in part because of his uh, educational and, and career success in in larger part because um, in uh, in the Mormon faith in the latter days in the church of Jesus Christ of latter-day Saints um, Except for at the very top, we don't have professional clergy. All your local churches are run by volunteers. And so um, in the town where I grew up, which was Danville, he was sort of the head of the church. And so um, everyone in the Latter-day Saint community knew knew him and knew my family.
1: And family is sounds really important to you even to this day, obviously.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm very close with my siblings and with my parents.
1: Amazing. Okay, so let's talk a bit more about Ben today. So today you obviously are the creator and host of how to take over the world you're also the producer of my first million podcast you are the founder of uh yes someone's coming in is this a daughter
0: yeah, that is my daughter uh hang on just one second i'm sorry no worries okay it sounds like uh her mother her mother just came retrieved her.
1: and um, you're a dad to three i'm a dad i'm a dad of you're, three we have claire and the twins do we are we saying what the twins names are george
0: and caroline are their names yep
1: my goodness, adorable. Um, so, so yeah. And, and you're doing the podcast. You just, you also launched Pod Ramp, which is helping folks start their own podcast. Um, you alluded to at the beginning about how you became like a podcaster that you wanted to try how to take over the world. The growth was slow initially. And then I know that Sam gave you a shout out, but really, how did it start for you? Were you? excited about talking about biographies? like How did the inception happen for you?
0: Essentially, the way the inception happened was I had some extra time on my hands. Uh, the company I was working for had just been acquired. And so I started reading because that's what I do. And I was reading a biography of Napoleon. And it got me really juiced, got me really excited. And I thought to myself, and there's kind of two, you know, now it's been five years, so I have trouble remembering what happened in what order, but there's kind of two inciting events for it. One was reading this biography of Napoleon and thinking, I would like to get more out of this um, and remember everything that I have learned from this biography. And so I want to create something. So I didn't know if it'd be a blog post or a YouTube video or a podcast, but I happened to have all this great audio equipment sitting around because a friend of mine, his dad had been in radio and He said, you have a great voice. And he gave me his equipment. So I had this (laughs) equipment sitting around. So I thought, I'll make a podcast. Um, Around the same time, I was a big fan of the Tim Ferriss show. And he had had a few episodes in a row that I just wasn't very interested in. And I started to wonder, has Tim interviewed everyone who is interesting to me to, to be interviewed? And obviously, that couldn't be the case. Obviously, there must be more people that that would be interesting interviews. So I started asking myself, who do I wish Tim Ferriss would interview? And as I thought about it, I realized most of the people I wish I could hear Tim Ferriss interview are dead. I wish I could hear Tim Ferriss interview Steve Jobs. I wish I could hear Tim Ferriss interview Napoleon. I wish I could hear Tim Ferriss interview Walt Disney. And so I thought, well, I could do that. I've been reading this biography of Napoleon. I could essentially do that, you know, a, a Tim Ferriss style interview, learning what there is to learn about how they worked and what made them great um, Mm -hmm. from reading their biographies. And so that was the genesis of the idea.
1: And you're so spot on there. Like we've talked about how you feel like the biography space is really underserved, like this need for zeal uh, from the Greek word zealous. At least for me, it's always so fascinating to think about, for instance, what would it be like to speak to my grandma Like who's no longer with us and understand like how her decisions came about, et cetera. And you do just that like with famous, great, great folks. Uh, one thing I love about what you do, Ben, and why I think you're so successful is you're so entertaining on the podcast. Like history lessons are famous for being boring. And to me, so many podcasts, so many history podcasts are just a snooze fest. You can ask them I fall asleep to them. And with you, I just feel hooked by the way you deliver. Um, so super important and curious... I know it's like easier, it's like, it's not a thing where there's a precise formula, but how do you think about the way you deliver to be entertaining on the podcast?
0: Yeah, so a little bit there is a formula in that. The way I think about it is this, I think podcasts or any sort of great media, whether that be a a podcast or a movie, a TV Mm -hmm. show, Is a series of great moments and so i actually don't worry that much about the filler in between so i look through i take all these notes and i look through it and i see okay there's this moment here at the beginning at the start of their life that's really transformative and really interesting i usually try and look for something where there's conflict right a clear there's clear stakes there's clear if this doesn't happen something bad is going to happen and i try and draw maybe an analogy around it to make, help people understand it i say okay that's one moment so i'm really going to focus on making that spectacular and driving it through in, into someone's brain and then i'll just kind of narrate you you can't people make a mistake if they're trying to do that boom 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 for the entire show i think um yeah. when i'm narrating a biography so i get that moment and then i find the next one and i just kind of go through the rest in between i say this is what happened. This is when it happened. This is how it happened. Moving on. And then five minutes later, I get to another one. Boom. And I really spend time trying to build out and, and focus on those moments.
1: Yeah. But there's also a flair in your delivery. Do you not think about that? Is that not a conscious thing that you're doing?
0: Part of that comes naturally to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it, I think, I mean, you can tell me, I don't think that much about my flair. But to me, one of the I spend a lot of time thinking about contextualizing. So yeah. I can't tell you how many times I listen to an audiobook. And I'm like pretty, I'm not like dumb. I, I don't <laughs> think I'm that dumb. And I can't tell you how many times I'm listening to a podcast or an audiobook, and I think to myself, oh, hold on, Who was that again? What are we talking about? And I just so many shows lose me. And again, I, I don't think I'm the stupidest person in the world. I don't think I'm alone in that, right? So I really think about, okay, if you don't need to know a person's name, I'm not going to tell you their name. This is just the guy who did X, right? If you yeah. do need to know someone's name, I'm going to tell it to you three or four times in the first minute. And I, the second time I mention it, after that first minute, I'm going to tell you you know, person X, who, if you'll remember, was the person who did Y, and I'm going to bring it back to you. And I'm going to put everything in terms that you can understand. So, uh, I'm going to make an analogy that is going to bring it into real life for you. So I do think about that a lot, about how to contextualize it and and make it make sense for people.
1: Totally. And making the listener not feel like an idiot or feel like, oh, what is this that I don't know? Or like, I have to catch up. I do appreciate the context setting of in this period in the U S for instance, this is what folks were doing and this was unusual because it wasn't like everyone else. Um, yeah, right. but, but again, I will call out you do have flair in your delivery, in your tone and your pacing and your daughters are very lucky. They'll be, <laughs> <laughs> they'll be getting lots of bedtime story reading, I'm sure, which will be fun. Thank you. I um, that. Translating that to other podcasts, just given your time spent with MFM, like PodRamp, etc., How do you think about what makes other podcasts entertaining? What should folks be focused on? I
0: think, um, so there are a few ways to, to think about it. Uh, what makes a podcast entertaining? Um, I I have a few different frameworks I, I use. Um, although I usually think I'm usually thinking about how to position it to make it, uh, just good, just great. I think the mistake some people make, though, to, to your question, is they think they can make a great podcast that's not entertaining. If that makes sense, they think um, I'm just gonna make it so chock full of information and so valuable and to them
1: smoothest.
0: that it that it doesn't matter, right? That people will be there just for the information. And it's like, no, sorry, that doesn't work. That doesn't happen. Everything has to entertain, especially in today's media landscape, right? So saturated.
1: Yeah. It's a yeah. fight for attention.
0: Totally. Totally. So I, I don't think there really is such a thing these days as great media that doesn't entertain. The closest thing you can find is Andrew Huberman, who really does have pretty dry delivery style uh, and breakdown of the facts. Um, if I were talking to Andrew Huberman, I would tell him his show could do better. I know it's like one of the top shows in the world, but I think it could do even better if he, if he made it more entertaining. But, but that's all right. Uh, that's the rare, rare exception. Um, yeah. Stuff needs to be entertaining. Uh, so how do you do that? I think you, the easy answer is um, you need to show people things that they've never seen before. And so there are a few different dimensions along which your podcast can be unique. Um, One of those is the content. So you're just talking about something that's totally new to them that they've never heard about before. Uh, That's one way, or you're telling it in a way that they have never heard it told. whether that you can do that with sound design with great production. Um, but there's a, there's a few different ways to do it. You can do it longer. You can do it short. You can do Joe Rogan. You can do a three hours. So it's super in depth. You can do it short in five minutes so that, Oh, I'm getting the gist and just exactly what I need in a very short amount of time. You you can do it that way and, and give people something they've never heard before. You can do it for a completely new audience. So people think, wow, I have never heard someone speaking to someone exactly like me. Um,
1: yeah,
0: that that is new to people or it, sometimes the, the actual host, the producer of the of the show has a complete perspective where people think, oh, I've never heard from someone like this. So you have to be unique in one of those ways. And in order to be entertaining and, and show people something they've never seen before, it, it's pretty easy. Like, honestly, you just got to think like your PT Barnum, <laughs> think about Steve Jobs. And this is someone who, you know, in uh, in some of his product reveals, literally, Literally had his his Mac sitting under a, a curtain like a magician, right? Oh, my gosh. Pulls off the cloth to to show you uh, what he's got. And that's what you kind of have to have that attitude of like, I'm P.T. Barnum. I'm Steve Jobs. I'm Walt Disney. I yeah. just want to pull back the curtain and show someone something they have never seen or heard before.
1: Take them on a journey, entertain them, have a climax, have a pitfall, hero's journey, wherever you can.
0: Totally. Beautiful. I, that's, it's funny you bring that up. That is one of the other things that um, people don't understand conflict well mm. enough. And what do I mean by that? Just point out both sides of an argument. I do that all the time. And that's something you don't hear enough in podcasting. So, um, So I'll be talking about this decision that Brigham Young made. And instead of just explaining why he did it, I will say, This is what he was thinking. Now, here's why that's a completely insane idea. This is here's why that exact he shouldn't have done that. This is why you should have done the opposite. But here's why he decided to do it instead. So that now instead of just going, okay, Brigham Young did X, then he did Y, you go, oh, Brigham Young was agonizing over this choice. Here's what he had to choose between, Um, and so that creates tension, and tension is one of the most important um, and least understood aspects of great storytelling.
1: Yeah, the feeling like you're hanging on every ward and wanting to find out what happens next and then what and then what you right. do well. Um, okay, so then speaking of how to take over the world, you've kind of talked about how your assessment of what makes folks great is they're one addicted, so they're working so much on one thing, like for instance, Edison, they're maybe not even eating, just not even sleeping, just because they're in flow and losing track of time. Second, they're hyper-focused, meaning they're keeping the main thing, the main thing. And kind of with every startup, for instance, we know that you got to focus on your one metric and make sure you're moving the needle on that one. And then third, that they what we talked about with your mission experience, which is being able to convince folks or just bring folks along for the ride. So tell them about a vision, share it with them, have them be as motivated about it even more so than you are. What I wanted to talk about is you've analyzed all these great people. You've also met all these great people. You talked about Mr. Beast, etc. And who is the person that you look up to right now? And you can't say Brigham Young.
0: <laughs> yeah, I always say the person that I'm studying right now. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but I, that that's fine. I won't say Brigham Young then. And um, <laughs> The answer is uh, the answer is Walt Disney. Um, yes. That's just that's who I am, honestly.
1: But say more about that. Why are you like him?
0: So I think one thing. um, So there was this moment in my life when um, Sam Parr discovered my podcast and I was working doing something else, right? And I was doing podcast production, but not in a way that I loved because I was making all these corporate shows for uh, big Fortune 500 companies. And uh, Sam shares the podcast and my... Listener skyrocket. All of a sudden, I'm getting all this tension. I'm getting all these downloads. And um, I, don't, I don't think I actually started crying, but I almost started crying. I just got really emotional. And uh, my wife goes, what's up? And I say, I just, I didn't know if I was going to be able to do the thing I love for a living. And now I know I can. It's a huge yeah. moment for me. I had a similar feeling when reading about Walt Disney, which is you read about some of these people and they're all these type a alpha take command natural leaders. Right. And that's not who I am necessarily. I'm more of a, I'm more of a creative type. Um, uh, I'm more of an entertainer. Uh, mm-hmm. and so you, to read about him and go, Oh, this is someone who couldn't manage his own company. So I had to bring his own brother to do it. Like, that's what I'm going to have to do with, with my companies. <laughs> right. Um, to, to realize, oh yeah, this is someone who like, um, really had to stay focused on the creative because operationally he was just kind of a mess. Uh, hmm. that's probably where, where I'll succeed as well. And so to just realize that there is a map, there's a blueprint for how to do this, that I can do it, that I can be successful in the way that I want to be, um, meant a lot to me. And so that, yeah. that's why I relate to him a lot.
1: It's a really powerful feeling to be seen.
0: Totally, yeah. Um, and you you can feel that, right? Sometimes that's one of the great things about biography is not only do you feel seen, um, but you feel seen and then you can kind of project yourself forward a little bit, right? It gives you a roadmap, uh, yeah. which, which is so helpful.
1: Yeah, like someone else like me did it and... I 1000% can too. It's such a powerful thing. I love that. For me, I I hope to do that with, I think if we spend enough time with anyone, you can find one thing that you love about them. It's it's possible to love any human. And I hope that we can love more and bring more togetherness in this polarized world. Um, But yeah, I wanted to ask you as well, Ben, on that first thing that makes folks great, this addiction, right? This working all the time. I personally feel like the next level of conquering the world is about also conquering ourselves and being able to live to the things that are important to us. So for instance, family maybe, being able to take care of ourselves, our bodies, uh, having a better balance. Is there anyone you've studied that was able to strike a balance and be great?
0: Um, yes. The, 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 honestly, the, the easy answer is, all of them when they got old, <laughs> you know, um,
1: <laughs> um,
0: I think that's, that's something, I that, you know, tell that. <laughs> there, there are phases <laughs> of life. Right. And I think I can't think of a single person who was great, who in their twenties was living a balanced life. I can think of a half dozen who were living a balanced life by their forties or their fifties. And so I think that's important to recognize is where are you in life? Are you in the phase of life where you're young and you can, you should grind? Or are you in the phase of life where you're going to have major regrets because you're going to miss your children growing up? Um, and it's okay to say not now, you know, it's okay to, to say this is a priority for me. Um, you know, fitness is a priority to me and you, that's not something that you should let go too long. Right. But there, there you can say not, not this year. Right. Um, and uh, you can do that with kind of everything in life. So, so recognizing the seasons of life, I think, is helpful.
1: Totally. Uh, we'll have to get Larry Wilson on to tell us about how he did it oh. all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He'd be a much better interview than me. <laughs>
1: Okay. Let's talk about PodRamp. I'm so excited for you for this project. You founded it. You're CEO. I'm excited to see it grow. And what you're doing is helping folks who have a following that want to build a podcast do just that. You know the science of what makes a good podcast, obviously, with how to take over the world in my first million. Um, where I want to go with this is famously folks who work at very successful companies that are early on, tend to leave to start their own very successful companies. Like you have various examples of this. You have PayPal mafia, Facebook mafia. So to you, Ben, having this insight into my first million and how to take over the world, what unfair advantages do you feel like you have from watching these journeys and taking a part in them?
0: Well, uh, I've got a number. I I often feel that what I'm doing is unfair. One is just the exposure, right? Just being involved with the project of My First Million opens a lot of doors, which is really mm-hmm. great for me. Uh, the other thing is, you know, you asked about entertaining uh, earlier and I get the opportunity to watch master entertainers every single day. Yeah. So on a micro level, there are just certain tips and tricks that I'm learning from Sam and Sean every single day uh, that are really helpful to me. Every single way that they approach Hosting a podcast is something that I'm filing away in my brain and hopefully going to be able to use to to help hosts of my shows uh, be better hosts.
1: I have to ask, what's one micro filing that you can share with us?
0: Here's a good one. We did this thing called Camp MFM where we got a bunch of people together and had like a basketball camp. So we were in Cameron Indoor Stadium, which is Duke Stadium, and Mr. Beast is there and Sean, who's the host of My First Million. And they're at half court and um, Sean says to Mr. Beast, I'll bet you $10,000 I can make this sh- shot before you can, a half court shot. <laughs> so they go and they start shooting half court shots. Sean makes it first. So Sean wins $10,000 for Mr. Beast.
1: Wow. But they, we
0: started filming it. And before we film it, Sean goes and does his best Mr. Beast impression. He turns to the camera and says, uh, I'm going to... Mr. Beast and I are going to shoot half court shots. And the first one to make it gets $10,000, you know, like totally hamming it up doing Mr. Beast. Okay. It actually goes viral. Like it actually, it actually does super well on, uh, on reels and on YouTube shorts. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, huh? So basically pretending to be Mr. Beast works. It's just, do you have the, what's the word I'm looking for? The shamelessness to do it, like, yeah. do you have the willingness to embarrass yourself? Because if it doesn't go well, it does look embarrassing to like look into the camera. I'm gonna shoot this shot, okay? Um, do you have the shamelessness? Like, are you willing to be absolutely shameless and just do the thing that you know will get the attention? If you do, it's frankly it's gonna do well. And so that was like one of those little things I filed away. I was like, okay, you can actually just copy this formula. You know exactly if you if you think about it for even a second, you know exactly what's gonna get people's attention. You just have to be willing to do it.
1: Yeah. you know, I love that because also Sarah Blakely taught me this. She's just so great, the founder of Spanx. She's just so great. She says, make sure to embarrass yourself once a day. Do something that is going to embarrass you once a day and just get comfortable with this feeling of being embarrassed or of failing because so many of us just don't get in the water metaphorically or don't go catch this wave because we're scared of being embarrassed or failing.
0: And if you're always there, then like, okay, that's cringe. You're doing too much, right? But it's just what you said. If you are never Mm
1: -hmm. embarrassing
0: yourself, then that just means that you're not putting yourself out there enough.
1: Yeah, that's not that bad of a feeling. Okay, while we're here, I did want to ask you. So we all know, Ben, that you're the best baller in the podcasting game. There's no question about this. Everyone knows. And I wanted to ask you about who is the better basketball player is it sean sean likes to pretend he's really good he's always got his basketball around or is it sam i have a feeling sam's maybe more fit sorry sean um but what's your take what's your verdict what's the inside scoop
0: okay so sean is obviously the better basketball player
1: really Sam is obviously
0: the better athlete (laughs) so here you go turn on your tiktok camera turn on get ready to clip this for for twitter i want the world to know i want the world to know this okay sean buri Gets on My First million, and every single day is like, I'm the dough boy. I'm like, all I do is drink soda and eat snacks all day. He talks like <laughs> this all the time. So I show up to Camp MFM. I'm expecting this guy who's, I don't know, like maybe borderline obese and like can't move. <laughs> Sean Puri is like a pretty good athlete. It was like, it was probably the, the, the fourth or fifth best person. Honestly, like if I was picking might have picked him like second or third really good basketball player moves well great hands great coordination um is like quick is like very uh very agile and just like good at making quick moves sean's like a, a pretty good athlete people don't realize <laughs> that so there you go
1: there we go i did not expect that then he'll have to pay 20 bucks afterward
0: yeah yeah there you go this was yes this was brought to you by uh sean puri um <laughs> There was a game where he just, I was on his team, actually. And my, I blew out my back. And so I couldn't move anymore. It was one of the last games we played. And Sean took over. He scored like 12 points in a row and won the game. Uh, he's very capable of doing that. So wow. now you know.
1: Now we know. You heard it here first. Yeah. Okay. And so you were telling me about your advantages, your unfair advantages of exposure into MFM and the doors opening.
0: And learning all this stuff that I uh, that I learned from them every single day. Um, and then the other thing is it just opens doors to learn from other people too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. There are a lot of people who I can just say, hey, can can we talk? And uh, since I'm the producer of My First Million, they'll say yes. And I get to pick their brains about what, what they're doing to make great content. So I get to learn from a lot of different people, luckily.
1: Yeah. Incredible. Famously also, Mr. Beast called you, asked you about how can I be great? If Mr. Beast were to call you now and ask you about how to build a podcast, given pod ramp, what would you tell him?
0: Um, so Mr. Beast is an interesting case. Uh, okay. You want me to actually just, I'll just run through it. Like, you, like you were yeah. Mr. Beast. If I was talking to you, okay, Mr. Beast, uh, Jimmy, you want to create a podcast? Yeah. We have talked about this a little bit. Uh, here's what I would tell him. Um, number one, you don't have to do anything crazy. It's just, call it beast pod, stick with the branding. Great. You've got a podcast. Um, number two, uh, the one thing that we are working against is you don't have time because you're doing so much else and we want to make this great. So what we need to think of is something that will make these great interviews that are differentiated. Um, because let's be honest, if we're talking about a podcast for Mr. Beast, what we're talking about is Are we going to make a podcast that is really, really successful and does great and makes you a bunch of money? Or are we talking about the greatest podcast in the world? Okay. Those are really the only two options for him, really successful or the best in the world. And what we want to make is the best podcast in the world. So what we're working against is the fact that you're not Joe Rogan. This can't be your only thing. You can't just um, spend hours and hours every single day and, and do all this research and get really deep into it. So we need to figure out how to make your show great without very much of your time. So what we need to think of is uh, some way to differentiate uh, you and your show. So um, how could we do that? Uh, we could do that, uh, for example, by um, by having like so, so. Here's one thing you could do: is you're doing a live in-person interview. Anyone would come live to interview with with Jimmy, and Mr. Beast, uh-huh. and you got a big TV and we're going to have a whole team of researchers doing research for you. And all you have to do is put the stuff on the TV. You got a little iPad, right? And we're going to load up this research for you. So you're talking to, I don't know, an NBA star, and we're going to pick out some of their best highlights. And so you just say, all right, uh, whatever, Russell Westbrook. Um, What we're going to review right here, I'm just looking at my iPad is uh, when you hit a game winner in in the first round of the playoffs in your rookie year, you watch it for three minutes. What did that feel like, right? So we're making yeah. it so that he can ask really interesting questions They get a lot out of a person because we're reviewing moments in life without having to do all this prep work because he doesn't have bandwidth for that. So that's how I would think about it with, with him. Is, yeah. Is How do we maximize your time to make you a great interviewer without you having to do all the research?
1: I like the interactive aspect of it to bringing in the guest and letting them live the moment and then share what that was like. That feels very, very different. That was great, Ben.
0: Yeah. Thanks. And that's a lot of what we do at pod is kind of figuring out, okay, where are your strengths and your weaknesses and how do we kind of build around that to make it make sense for you?
1: Yeah. What's the most exciting piece of building that for you these days? I saw you just smile beam just now F- feels like an exciting project for you.
0: It is. Yes. Um, And the reason is something I've just realized about myself is I have great starter energy. I love launching new projects. I love it. And this feeling of starting a new podcast and and thinking about, oh, what's it going to sound like? What's it, how are we going to position it? What's the content going to be? I love that. And so now with PodRamp, what I've built for myself is this machine where I get to build podcasts. And then, you know, after three or five episodes, we have our production team come in and they get to do the sort of, keeping the trains running on time, making sure everything just works, which is stuff I hate. Um, yeah. And so I get to do what I love all the time.
1: That is so, 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 so great. I'm so glad that you have that for yourself. And it sounds like you're taking what you've learned from Disney and yourself and leaning into your strengths and supplementing with other folks, the folks that you hire to do the other stuff for you.
0: Yeah. And yes, I'm learning more and more about that all the time. I think that's a really important thing. If there's one piece of advice I could give I don't think it's the most important piece of advice in the world, but I think it's the least understood. It's mm-hmm. find ways. If you want to be really successful, find ways to avoid doing things that you hate.
1: Yeah. This is why I have my husband doing some of my admin for me. I'm <laughs> 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 going to hire someone soon, but he's, he's great. Speaking of which, what else have you learned about yourself through this process? Learn to lean into your strengths. What else?
0: Uh, What have I learned about myself? That's a good question. I think, yeah, lean into your strengths. The other thing, when you're, I think this is especially true of of men, okay? When you're 25, you're the baddest mofo in the world. Like, okay, <laughs> I could have I been a Navy SEAL if only that had been what I focused on, right? I could have yeah. been the world's greatest scientist if I just worked hard enough. When you start to get into your 30s, you start to realize, all right, I've got, Limitations. Okay, um, I am who I am, and I think that's one of the other things I've learned about myself is when I started this, I wanted to to be everything, and now I'm comfortable just being me. That's got uh-huh. its own set of strengths and weaknesses, um, and certain ones of those, like for example, people tell me they don't hear it that much. I hear it so much. I have a slight lisp, and so. For the longest time, I was thinking about like, all right, how do I like not lisp? Do I need to like go to uh, speech therapy? Do I, do I need to like just kind of do an SH sound when I'm saying S's to make it like, so at least it's not like so silliment? And eventually I realized people don't care. People like my podcast. No one mentions it. No one gets mad about it. All right, this is who I am. I, I people like my voice. I talk a little funny and okay, I can just accept that about myself. And, um, so that's another thing. I've I've worried less about my weaknesses as time has gone on.
1: Yeah. Honestly, it gives you character, Ben. It differentiates you from all the other radio voices out there. Um, I love this quote about be you because you're going to be the best you, you can be and you're not going to be able to compete with other people. So lean into who you are.
0: Absolutely. I agree with that
1: 100%. And speaking of understanding and being humbled by our limitations these days what is important to you these days ben
0: um what is important to me i think you know it's interesting the more children i have the less concerned i am it's uh, okay let me phrase this differently i think people would think that as i get further into my career as i get older I would be more interested in my family and less interested in the outside world. Um, Whereas the opposite has been the case. Not that I'm less interested in my family, but I think what I'm realizing is, uh, and this is just, I'm a weirdo. This is just how I think about things, but I think the world is like pretty sick these days. And um, in a good way or a bad way?
1: In a bad way.
0: Like they're, they're, you know you look at like certain things like um like the obesity rate that's going up right like or just yeah. our environment it's more difficult than ever to not be physically polluted by some of the environmental toxins you look at um rates of anxiety and depression amongst young people and mm-hmm. um how those trends are going right uh you look at the rate of formation of stable families and how that's cratering and i think wow all these trends are going not only in the wrong direction, but like really hard in the wrong direction. And I no longer feel like if I just raise my kids to be good people, they're going to be all right. That's still my top priority, right? If you don't raise your kids to be good people, nothing else can happen. But I feel like more than ever, it's important to somehow carve out a world where they can be, Normal people and be successful. Um, and so, what's important to me, yeah, is that old cliche building a better world, <laughs> building a better future.
1: Yeah. And that's not weird at all. I find this happened with many parents, right? You have kids who you're going to leave on the planet and you want them to have an inhabitable, but also a really healthy and fruitful experience on the planet. Uh, and so, we have lots of parents wanting to be more involved with creating a better world.
0: And I think it's important also once, once you get in that frame of mind to not then get uh, hopeless because I myself am probably not going to fix any of these issues. Like I'm not going to single-handedly reverse the obesity rate. I'm, I'm probably not that guy. I'm not the one who's going to make it happen. Uh, I'm not, I'm not the one who's going to make sure that they have a, a healthy, um, sexual culture to grow up in where, uh, they'll be able to like get married and, and have kids and, um, like dating market. I think is just messed up by a lot of factors and like, well, I'm going to fix that. Yeah. But I think what you can do is you don't have to change the whole world. You just have to change their world. You have to create a culture. You have to create a group or a space, uh, where Mm -hmm. they can find normalcy. And that doesn't have to be the whole world, right? Um, that can be just a community. Um, and, and so, you know, work on a level where you can have an actual impact.
1: Yeah, start at home. Start with your family. So then what impact do you want to make on the world?
0: Um, well, uh, okay. I'll say this. This is kind of heady. But this is, um, I was at the zoo. And um, we were looking at the gorillas. Mm -hmm. And the gorilla trainer was there and another person in the crowd asks, so you've got male and female adult gorillas in the enclosure. How do you control the number of gorillas? And she says, we give them birth control. And someone says, you have gorilla birth control? And she says, no, we have human birth control. It turns out gorillas, you can just give them human birth control at at essentially human doses and it works because we're so similar. And uh, someone says, wow, that's, uh, I never would have guessed that. You can just give human, she says, oh yeah, yeah, We use lots of human pharmacology. Uh, Most of them are on antidepressants as well. And as are many animals at the zoo, uh, use antidepressants and uh, and, anti, I think, um, anyways, drugs like that quite commonly. I said, oh, what animals are on antidepressants? And uh, she didn't really want to talk about it, but she said, well, you know, lions, tigers, elephants, um, really anything that's like a big mammal that's used to being in a pack that's not. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, oh, wow. Um, that kind of describes the way we live, right? Is large, smart mammals that normally live in packs that are now, oh, we essentially spend our our days in um, voluntary cages um, and isolated from, from other people. And our normal our normal way of living is, uh, is tribal is with other people. And so that's kind of what I would like to fix is to find a way of life where, um, we're not fighting nature in that way that is conducive to our biology, to leading to, uh, productive and and happy lives surrounded by those we love.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah. We are such social creatures, right? That's why you have things like fear of ostracism being such a big thing amongst us like we all want to be liked because we're we're used to being in the pack and having these hundred people who know and love us and like us because we're dependent on them right um and so much has changed in today's world
0: yeah exactly. well
1: we'll follow your journey 2022 ben your goal was how to take over the world being a top 100 podcast what is 2023 hold in store for
0: you um I uh, I don't know. I decided that uh, I'm not doing these big year-long goals uh, anymore. So I'm just doing, uh, I'm just doing, I'm taking it one month at a time. Um, mm-hmm. 2022 worked out for me and that was great. Um, but uh, for, for January, uh, sorry, for, uh, yeah, for January, we're, we're just in February. My goal was to get 100,000 downloads in a month. So uh, I hit that. And, uh, and now I'm doubling it for February. And, uh, so I'm, I'm taking it one month at a time, um, and, and seeing where we can go.
1: Yeah. Laying one brick at a time. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. This was so lovely to have you. I really, really enjoyed getting to know you better. Thank you so, so much for your time, Ben. It
0: was a real pleasure. It was a lot of fun. I, uh, I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like what you hear, leave a review and share.